Startup Essays by Natal and Sean. I'm Natal. And I'm Sean. All right, so uh, we're going to start doing these podcasts, and um goal is to learn a little bit about what Paul Graham and other thought leaders have talked about for startups, and basically just learn along the way, make some um, educated commentary, and uh, hopefully Sometimes it'll be uneducated. Yeah. <laughs> All the times uneducated. Uh, yeah, so Sean has the voice for radio, so... So I've been told once. Uh, <laughs> certainly not pretty the, adamant about Certainly it. not the face for TV. Um, yeah, so we're reading what? So today we are reading from Paul Graham's website, paulgram.com, and the essay that we chose to start off with is The Word Hacker. Um, which is paulgram.com forward slash forward slash gba dot html from April two thousand and four. I'm glad you added the dot html. Like, you know, I'm just people want to you know join on our journey, <laughs> learn as we learn, experience as we do, so they can find it this way. So I'll start. Um, the plan is to read them through. We will try and take notes, collect thoughts. And kind of decompress after we get through it, keep it to a half hour total, and see where this goes. So, thanks for listening. The Word Hacker, April 2004. To the popular press, hacker means someone who breaks into computers. Among programmers, it means a good programmer. But the two meanings are connected. To programmers, hacker connotes mastery in the most literal sense. Someone who can make a computer do what he or she wants, whether the computer wants to or not. To add to the confusion, the noun hack also has two senses. It can be either a compliment or an insult. It's called a hack when you do something in an ugly way, but when you do something so clever that you somehow beat the system. <laughs> so our warehouse is... Our startup. Our, our startup. Our startup. Our the startup. The beginning is, of our dynasty. Our, the inception of our dynasty is being incubated adjacent to the Van Nuys Airport. Glorious and prestigious, soon to be Van Nuys International <laughs> Airport. <laughs> yes, that's where we're going to fly out private and fucking jet set around Dampelzerian style. <laughs> okay, so that's probably going to happen a lot if you stay and listen to us. So the plan then is to reset by a paragraph and try again. No, no, no. Fuck that. I say the jet is actually the third host. And, and every t- Thank you, jet. Random. Thank you, military fighter aircraft doing flybys. Yeah. We appreciate like, you. So what does the G6 have to say? Okay, I'll try not to do that. The G6 has strong opinions <laughs> on hack as a noun. Yeah. Okay. So, where was I? You're warming up your voice. Believe it or not, the two senses of hack are also connected. Ugly and imaginative solutions have something in common. They both break the rules. And there is a gradual continuum between rule breaking that's merely ugly, using duct tape to attach something to your bike, and rule breaking that is brilliantly imaginative, discarding Euclidean space. Hacking predates computers. When he was working on the Manhattan Project, Richard Feynman used to amuse himself by breaking into safes. What's Feynman? Richard oh, yeah, Feynman, Feynman, the world's most famous physicist. 
I haven't seen his last name before. I didn't fuck up Einstein. Right? It was Feynman. Richard Feynman used to amuse himself by breaking into safes containing secret documents. This tradition continues today. When we were in grad school, a hacker friend of mine who spent too much time around MIT had his own lockpicking kit. He now runs a hedge fund, a not unrelated enterprise. It is sometimes hard to explain to authorities why one would want to do such things. Another friend of mine once got in trouble with the government for breaking into computers. This had only recently been, de been declared a crime, and the FBI found that their usual investigative technique didn't work. Police investigation apparently begins with a motive. The usual motives are few. Drugs, sex, money, revenge. Intellectual curiosity was not one of the motives on the FBI's list. Indeed, the whole concept seemed foreign to them. Those in authority tend to be annoyed by hackers' general attitude of disobedience, but that disobedience is a byproduct of the qualities that make them good programmers. They may laugh at the CEO when he talks in generic corporate news speech, but they also laugh at someone who tells them a certain problem can't be solved. Suppress one, and you suppress the other. This attitude is sometimes affected. Sometimes young programmers notice the eccentricities of eminent hackers and decide to adopt some of their own in order to seem smarter. The fake version is not merely annoying. The prickly attitude of these posers can actually slow the process of innovation. But even factoring in their annoying eccentricities, the disobedient attitude of hackers is a net win. I wish its advantages, advantages were better understood. For example, I suspect people in Hollywood are simply mystified by hackers' attitudes towards copyrights. They are a perennial topic of heated discussion on Slashdot. But why should people who program computers be so concerned about copyrights, of all things? Partly because some companies use mechanisms to prevent copying. Show any hacker a lock, and his first thought is how to pick it. But there is a deeper reason that hackers are alarmed by measures like copyrights and patents. They see increasingly aggressive measures to protect intellectual property as a threat to the intellectual freedom they need to do their job. And they are right. It is by poking about inside current technologies that hackers get ideas for the next generation. No thanks, intellectual homeowners may say. We don't need any outside help. But they're wrong. The next generation of computer technology has often, perhaps more often than not, been developed by outsiders. In 1977, there was no doubt some group within IBM developing what they expected to be the next generation of business computer. They were mistaken. The next generation of business computer was being developed on entirely different lines by two long-haired guys called Steve in a garage in Los Altos. At about the same time, the powers that be were cooperating to develop the official next generation operating system, Multics. But two guys who thought Multics ex uh, excessively complex when often wrote their own. They gave it a name that was a joking reference to Multics, Unix. The latest intellectual property laws impose unprecedented restrictions on the sort of poking around that, I, that leads to new ideas. In the past, a competitor might use patents to prevent you from selling a copy of something they made, but they couldn't prevent you from taking one apart to see how it worked. The latest laws make this a crime. How are we to develop new technology if we can't study current technology to figure out how to improve it? Ironically, hackers have brought this on themselves. Computers are responsible for the problem. The control systems inside machines used to be physical, gears and levers and cams. Increasingly, the brains, and thus the value, of products is in software. And by this I mean software in the general sense, 
as in data. A song on an LP is physically stamped into the plastic. A song on an iPod's disc is merely stored on it. Data is by definition easy to copy, and the internet makes copies easy to distribute. So it is no wonder companies are afraid. But as so often happens, fear has clouded their judgment. The government has responded with draconian laws to prevent in- to protect intellectual property. They probably mean well, but they may not realize that such laws will do more harm than good. Why are programmers so violently opposed to these laws? If I were a legislator, I'd be interested in this mystery, for the same reason that if I were a farmer and suddenly heard a lot of squawking coming from my henhouse one night, I'd want to go out and investigate. Hackers are not stupid. And you... How do you say that? Unanimity? Unanimity? Unanimity is very rare in this world. So if they're all squawking, perhaps there is something amiss. Could it be that such laws, though intended to protect America, will actually harm it? Think about it. There is something very American about Feynman breaking into safes during the Manhattan Project. It's hard to imagine the authorities having a sense of humor about such things over in Germany at that time. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Hackers are unruly. That is the essence of hacking, and that it is also the essence of Americanness. It is no accident that Silicon Valley is in America, and not France or Germany or England or Japan. In those countries, people color inside the lines. I lived for a while in Florence, but after I'd been there a few months, I realized that I'd been unconsciously hoping to find there was, oh, unconsciously hoping to find there was back in the place I just left. Oh, I misread that. But after I'd been there a few months, I realized that what I'd been unconsciously hoping to find there was back in the place I just left. The reason Florence is famous is that in 1450, it was New York. In 1450, it was filled with the kind of turbulent and ambitious people you find now in America. So I went back to America. It is greatly to America's advantage that it is a congenial atmosphere for the right sort of unruliness that it is a home not just for the smart, but for smart Alex. And hackers are invariably smart Alex. If we had a national holiday, it would be April 1st. It says a great deal about our work that we use the same word for brilliant or a horribly cheesy solution. When we cook one up, we're not always 100% sure which kind it is. But as long as it has the right sort of wrongness, that's a promising sign. It's odd that people think of programming as, a preci- as precise and methodical. Computers are precise and methodical. Hacking is something you do with a gleeful laugh. In our world, some of the most characteristic solutions are not far removed from practical jokes. IBM was no doubt rather surprised by the consequences of of the licensing deal for DOS, just as the hypothetical adversary must be when Michael Rabin solves a problem by redefining it as one that's easier to solve. Smart Alex have to develop a keen sense of how much they can get away with, and lately, hackers have sensed the change in the atmosphere. Lately, hackerliness seems rather frowned upon. To hackers, the recent concentration in civil liberties, contraction in civil, liberty, civil liberties, seems especially ominous. That must also mystify outsiders. Why should we care especially about civil liberties? Why programmers more than dentists or salesmen or landscapers? Let me put the case in terms of a government... Let me put the case in terms a government official would appreciate. Civil liberties are not just an ornament or a quaint American tradition. Civil liberties make countries rich. If you make a graph of GNP per capita versus civil liberties, you notice a definite trend. 
could civil liberties really be a cause rather than just an just an effect i think so i think a society in which people can do and say what they want will also tend to be one in which the most efficient solutions win rather than those sponsored by the most influential people authoritarian countries become corrupt corrupt countries become poor and poor countries are weak it seems to me there is a laffer curve for government power just as for tax revenues at least it seems likely enough that it would be stupid to try the experiment and find out unlike high tax rates you can't repeat totalitarianism if it turns out to be a mistake this is why hackers worry the government spying on people doesn't literally make programmers write worse code it just leads eventually to a world in which bad ideas win and because this is so important to hackers they're especially sensitive to it they can sense totalitarianism approaching from a distance as animals can sense an approaching thunderstorm it would be ironic if as hackers fear recent measures intended to protect national security and intellectual property turned out to be a missile aimed right at what makes america successful but it would not be the first time that measures taken in an atmosphere of panic had the opposite of the intended effect. There is such a thing as Americanness. There's nothing like living abroad to teach you that. And if you want to know whether something will nurture or squash this quality, it will be hard to find a better focus group than hackers because they come closest of any group I know to embodying it. Closer probably than the men running our government, who for all their talk of patriotism remind me more of Richilu or Mazarian than Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. When you read what the founding fathers had to say for themselves, they sound more like hackers. The spirit of resistance to government, Jefferson wrote, is so valuable on certain occasions that I wish it always to be kept alive. Imagine an American president saying that today. Like the remarks of an outspoken old grandmother, the sayings of the founding fathers have embarrassed generations for their less confident successors. They remind us where we come from. They remind us that it is the people who break rules that are the source of America's wealth and power. Those in a position to impose rules naturally want them to be obeyed, but be, paref- be careful what you ask for. You might get it. That's chill. I liked it. Yeah. So uh, would you say you're a hacker? I would say I have not been a hacker my entire life. I would say... I more recently adopted the mindset of a hacker, coloring outside of the lines. It was perhaps an obsession to color within the lines for a long time, and I ultimately found myself extremely unhappy. So, like, you were French? I was very French. (laughs) I mean, my family is European, so you could say I was Irish. But you're just white. I'm just white, yeah. Yeah. But it's a European mentality, perhaps. But they always protest, like, all the time, right? Who? Everyone in Europe, Everybody right? Like the yellow always, jacket. Uh, yeah, the, in, in France recently, yeah, the yellow jacket protesters. Yeah, isn't it like, dude? So I was talking with uh, Ralph. So mm-hmm. Ralph is one of our um, contractors. He's in Spain, <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Yeah, France loves to protest." <laughs> he's like, "He's like, what a terrible country." <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but I mean, they seem fine. Like, but they always kind of protest right like they're the ones like isn't that like that vibe that yeah. protesty vibe but by protesting are they standing up against the government is the government becoming too totalitarian and they're trying to break down this oversight they feel Actually, yeah like didn't they have like more revolutions than any modern country yeah yeah right? they're so trying to like... figure it out maybe they're a lean country and they're just constantly iterating <laughs> 
Maybe they haven't found product market fit for their country. Like when governmental they get it, product market whoa, fit? Watch out, France. <laughs> watch out the world. Watch out, world. But, um, yeah, like, I guess I could see that. I thought that was interesting. Because um, in terms of, like, culture, I know one of my friends, Alexis. Let's see, we only have, like, ten more minutes, so we'll keep it quick as we go through this. Tight ten. Tight ten. Um, but, uh... One of my friends, Alexa, she like traveled abroad, and I, and I she's in like a Croatia or something, and um, she was saying that when she was in grad school in uh, Ukraine, and then also she spent half of it in I think like Spain. She was saying that like all of her classmates were like, "Yeah, I don't really care. I just want to get my grade, so then that way I can like hang out." And like all of them had to repeat classes, like all the, like this is grad school, and they like fucked up so hard. Oh wow! Yeah, they had to, re- they had to repeat classes, and she's like over here trying to work super duper hard and like go through uh, school because at that point she wanted to be a lawyer or something. But like, yeah, she she said that, and she kind of blew my mind. I'm like, what the fuck? They like don't care that much. She's like, yeah. I'm like, do they like get upset when they fail or at a class or something? She's like, no. Nah, they just go, this is how it is. Like it's very, uh, this is how it is. Like color and the lines is the difference that those students have already gone so much further than their families expected that they're kind of making up things as they go and so what if they fail a class the fact that they're even trying the class isn't even maybe understood by their family i don't know like because uh, i feel like a lot of people do higher education like all over the world and or at least in europe yeah so I don't think it's that they went too far. Well, and a not, lot of them were from money, too. It's not, it's not just... Okay, well, I don't, I, coming from money, there are different expectations. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Europeans in general are inferior and don't pursue <laughs> higher education. That's not my point. Just maybe with certain circles of friends or people, your friend from Ukraine, maybe the people she came from, they hadn't achieved the educational success. The student friends? Yeah. yeah Their I families hadn't. Like, maybe they found money through... That wasn't the vibe she gave. I think it was more like cultural thing. Like the people there in Ukraine and in Spain were like, bleh. Like they just didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I made some like comments, quick comments really. That's fair. I could not make comments because it's very challenging to read these confusing Feynman names. Yeah. (laughs) You (laughs) got it right the second time. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple others I probably messed up. Yeah, no, you did. Sorry, (laughs) people of the world. Sorry, sorry, all of um, X number of people. X minus two. X minus two because I'm definitely not going to listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not listening back to this. Um. So, oh yeah, so he was saying what hackers, yeah, I guess we kind of went over this hacker business. Um, And then there was something else that was really interesting. Uh, When he was saying that, like, people in Hollywood are simply mystified by the attitudes of hackers towards copyrights. Um, There's that joke uh, that, um, I think, I think it was, like, Dave Chappelle, when he was, like, back in, like, 2005. He's, like, taking, talking shit about um millennials at that point it was like i'm a millennial everything's free like <laughs> so it's like yeah like yeah. i think it's like both hackers and like millennials like copyrights like what is this if it's data i can just copy it yeah. it doesn't make any sense you wouldn't download a car <laughs> and like now that's all we do <laughs> like, now i would literally do that yeah um let's see i got another interesting one um 
Oh yeah, how I was saying that like uh, intellectual property laws lead to restrictions on new ideas. And yeah, actually I had an interesting uh, interaction with that when I was starting um, my 3D printing company in like a few years ago where I had made a Kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. and like I had my 3D printer and it was fully enclosed because um, that way you could like, you know, stabilize the airflow. So what control like, temperature. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like it had been known throughout the like kind of amateur industry that Stratasys has like the patent on enclosed build volumes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like bullshit. Like, I, I, I don't care about this. And also I was like, I'm not going to get sued by fucking Stratasys. Like, they don't care about me, right? I'm just like this little guy. I don't have nearly any competition to them. And, uh, like, I got seven, like several people to message me on Kickstarter going, like, yo, you're infringing on this patent. I hope you're ready for all the lawsuits. And I was like, dude, first of all, no. And second of all, I read the patent. It's yeah. not for just enclosing the – you can't, like, patent the enclosing – Like a, a box. <laughs> you can't patent a box. I put a box around it. <laughs> and it's, like – because the patent, like, it has specific um, Is like, it utility arguments, or right? design? Yeah, uh, it was – I think it was it, a design. It probably. Because yeah. it was talking about, like, it was enclosed, but then also heated. So, like, you had to heat it, and, like, it was controlled heat. But I didn't have the heat controlled. I didn't have it, it like, insulated. It was just there. It was walls. It was just fucking there. It was yeah. walls. Like, you can't, like, patent walls. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do? Like, Yeah, that's a big difference between design and utility, I think. Um, utility, they could just generally say 3D printing inside of a volume. But if yeah. it was design... And they're calling out very specific aspects of that design. I don't know. It might have been heat. It might have been a utility patent because I remember it said like it kind of said three D printing inside of a volume, but it said heated volume, mm. and it was like one of the first arguments. Heated volume. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the claims, perhaps. Yeah, one of the claims. Yeah. yeah, and so. But I think too, to your your greater point, even yeah. even if there was you know a little bit of overlap. Yeah. You're also. Would you have stopped? designing your 3d printer i mean i knew there was overlap and i did it anyway no i know <laughs> like would you have stopped no you didn't no but like these people like they were so afraid and yeah. they were also like like i remember reading the forums people were like oh i don't want to enclose my 3d printer because mm. i know stratasys has the patent i'm like dude do you think stratasys cares about some asshole in milwaukee <laughs> like 3d printing and he put a cardboard box they're yeah. like they're gonna get them you know they're like people just don't understand it but See, like I, I think yeah that's yeah. the difference with hackers they're intelligent, as the essay says. We know this. Yeah. They're aware of the infringement or the existence of other IP, but they still create. Because I think, Natal, you said, too, that your printer, Lathon, um, back in 2014, was one of the first dual-nozzle 3D printers. At least, it's like, commercially available. Like, People were, like, hacking them together. Yeah, yeah, commercially available, right? So yeah. imagine if you had just stopped because Strauss had this... Stratuses. Stratuses. Had this... Strauss's? What's it called? Stratuses. Stratuses. Yeah. Had this heated and closed volume, right? Yeah. You wouldn't have achieved the other things or created the other things. Yeah, so it's like it places so this point, right? Saying, yeah, yeah, like... If you just stop because there's even a hint of of overlight or in, oversight or infringement... Yeah. Like, you lose a it lot like of It, like, stifles innovation, yeah. right? And now that dual nozzle is pretty prevalent. Yeah, like, everyone runs the dual nozzle. Um, um, I was also thinking when we started our company... Mm -hmm. um, there was some talk about software that we had to use. And one of the early people that we were talking to to join our company didn't want to use the software that we had found online. They wanted to buy the license. 
And yeah. at that point, we were just lowly engineers doing our thing. And if we had stuck with that and tried to buy the full, like, you know, professional grade software, we wouldn't have been able to design anything in the beginning. The machine yeah. wouldn't have come together and it wouldn't have worked. So we just used the open source stuff. So we used the open source stuff. And then when we could, we came back and used the bed, the good stuff. Yeah. But they're like, oh, yeah, can we, like, drop a shit ton of money? I was like, dude, I don't have this money. Like, the software would have cost 2x what all of the parts cost on our first machine. Yeah. Yeah. And it was entirely self-funded at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you just got to, like, hack it together. And that was something we had to kind of overcome in a way. Yeah. It was, like, a, a moment where both of us were, like, yeah, I hear it's when you. we kick the other guy out of the ideas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, really he's a really smart engineer, really capable, but it would have just stifled our creativity, and we've gotten really far yeah. in the year and, and some months. Yeah. And now we bought it. Um, Legit. Yeah. Now we're real, now we're real engineers. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I might not be. Uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, okay, shit. We have one minute left. Okay. All right. Closing remarks. That's all. Well, let's you see. You had some other thoughts. First, I want to know who Richelieu or Mazarian is. <laughs> like, hold on, hold on. I think the I think the listeners will want to know who these people are as well. Cardinal Mazarin was an Italian cardinal diplomat. He served as chief minister to the kings for King Louis the Thirteenth and King Louis the Fourteenth. Okay, probably why they're both cardinals. Both cardinals. Was this guy also Louis uh, the Eighteenth? Okay, so basically, assholes. Or sorry, Thirteenth. That's what he was trying to say. They remind him more of Richelieu or Mazarin, who were cardinals to kings that oppressed and created insane wealth inequality or wealth inequality inside of uh, France, right? France? I think so. Or Italy? No. Yeah. All right. That's it. Thanks, guys. Woohoo!